Well, Lord, we're uh, here to receive all that you have for us, and so help us to be receptive, because uh, we want your Holy Spirit to speak to our minds and hearts, to, uh, to let, it, let us know how to really take it into where we live, where we are. And um, so, so, Lord, we want to we leave this place knowing that you have spoken to us, and you have touched our lives. So this is our request in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, you see there on the screen, uh, that's our title for the day, For the Team. And uh, I don't know if you can tell if there's anything a little different about that logo. I mean, that's the Faith Westwood Leaf logo, right? I, I asked him to make it just a little wider so it looks a little bit like a football. Did you notice that? <laughs> I know it's kind of a subliminal thing, but, you know, I thought it was worth a try. Um, Anyway, a couple of Saturdays ago, Trish and I got to go to the, to the Husker game against Bethune-Cookman. Before this season, I had never heard of Bethune-Cookman. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that Lee Corso and the game uh, day crew were not there that day. Uh, but there were 88,000 fans wearing red, screaming for the team. You know, at, at games, you find three kinds of groups. People. For example, at a Husker game, there'd be three kinds of Huskers. You have Husker fans, and then hopefully you've got some Husker recruits, and then you've got the Husker team, including the players and coaches. Uh, and that's the way I find, think it is with Jesus as well. Some are his fans, some are uh, he, people he's actively recruiting, and some are on his team of disciples. Now, I grew up a fan of Jesus. Uh, in my church, you know, we sang about him every Sunday, and we, I went to Sunday school and learned stories about Jesus. And then I hit age 15, and suddenly, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. It was like a little switch flipped in my head. I don't know if I believe in God anymore. I mean, I still thought Jesus was kind of cool, but I really didn't, had no idea where he would fit into my life. And then... He started recruiting me. Maybe he had been doing it all along and I didn't realize it. But uh, I, I began to meet people who, who told me how they, they knew Jesus and he had come into their lives in a, a really transforming way and uh, he was real to them. And I, I could actually see the change in their lives. And before long, I found myself having this desire, this longing to, to know Jesus the way they did. He seemed like he was, such, he was a friend to them. He was, he was personal, but he was also their Lord. And so I finally came to a point where I said, Jesus, yes. I, I am tired of running my life and messing it up, running it my own way. I want to do life your way. You be in charge. And, uh, and so I'm signing up. I mean, I didn't say those exact words, but that was the intent of it. I was signing up, and, and Jesus sent his spirit to come and live within me and change me from the inside out. And that's how I went from being a fan to a recruit to being on the team. Uh, and that's what, how it works with all of us. We start as fans, we go through a recruitment process, and then we come on the team. And, you know, we see the same thing happening in the Bible. Fans followed Jesus wherever he went. I mean, huge crowds of them because, he, for one thing, he was such a great teacher. 
people were hanging on his, in his words, and then also he would heal people. And that was sort of eye-popping and wonderful and everything. And then one time, you know, he fed 5,000 all in one sitting, people who were hungry. And so his fame spread far and wide. One day, a huge crowd cheered for him the day he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. Like a king arriving for his coronation. And people, they laid down their jackets on the, on the path for him to ride on. And they took their waves, their, their palm branches, and waved them over him as he was passing by. And, and they played the tunnel song music, and, and everybody went wild. And, and he was brought, uh, five days later, the jealous leaders conspired against him. They, they paid some people to uh, bring false evidence against him. Uh, he was quickly convicted. They brought him before, for sentencing before the Roman prefect. And one thing we know about fans is that many of them can be fickle. So Sunday's cheering crowd was replaced with Friday's jeering crowd. Everybody loves a winner until you're not winning. Out of the tens of thousands of people who had been Jesus' fans, how many do you think were really on his team? Do you have any idea? How many would, were really on his team? Well, in Acts chapter 2, which is after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection and uh, going into heaven, after that, there were 120 who stayed in Jerusalem waiting and praying until the Holy Spirit came. And then, of course, in the coming years, I mean, that number would just go exponentially through the roof. But when Jesus left, he only had a team of 120. And yet Jesus was always recruiting his fans to come on board and be on his team. Let's open our Bibles now. Uh, we're going to go to the passage that Becky read for us, Luke chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 57 on page 1040. 1040. Sounds like tax time, doesn't it? 1040. And uh, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem knowing he's going to be betrayed and arrested and executed. He's in Galilee in the north, and he's heading south to Jerusalem, taking no detours on the way. The Bible says he has his face set to Jerusalem. And then we have three recruiting stories. In verse 57, Jesus is approached by someone who wants to join his team. You know, like, I'm ready to sign up. He, let's call him recruit number one, all right? As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. In other words, Jesus, I want to be on your team. I love this guy. I love recruit number one. He wants to be a disciple. And you know, one way I define a disciple is someone who says, Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll say whatever you want me to say. That's a disciple. And a lot of times Jesus invites his disciples to follow him and he tells them, you know, what it's going to be like. Some of the great things, you know, they're going to, you're going to be catching people instead of fish, that kind of thing. But Jesus also doesn't want to fill them with false expectations. It's not all going to be fun times and instant success. He tells them you're going to experience suffering. You're going to be ridiculed. 
You're going to be rejected. Uh, you're going to have to deny yourself every day. Think about that. Because that's part of life on the team. So in verse 57, here's what he says. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has no place to lay his head. Because you see, in this, just earlier in the Samaritan village they had come through, no one would take Jesus and put him up for the night. You know, that was sort of custom in that day. It was sort of expected ethic that our travelers were coming through. Hey, you, you got to open your home. You know, you, you've got an extra place. You're, you, they need to stay. But nobody would do it for Jesus. And while they were on the road, well, let me back up. And, and uh, so, did, number, did recruit number one join the team? What does it say? It doesn't say, does it? We, we, we don't find out. Uh, and then while they're on the road, Jesus gets into a conversation with recruit number two. And he invites him to sign up. Verse 59, Jesus says, follow me. Come on along. Be on my team. But recruit number two is not like James and John, the fishermen, who, who left their father and his boat and the nets and followed Jesus. He's not like Matthew, who, who left his tax collecting booth and, and left it all behind and, and went and followed Jesus. This guy has other business to attend to. But he replied, it said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And, and when I read this, I want Jesus to say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just, just come look me up after the funeral. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? Jesus does not have time to wait. He's on his way to Jerusalem now. If, if recruit number two wants to follow, he has to get aboard now. You know, a lot of people have made the kind of sacrifice Jesus is asking for here. You know, through most of human history, there has not been instant communication. There hasn't been uh, fast transportation. So if you left on a mission for the Lord, who knows how long you would be gone? Who knows what would happen while you're gone? Your mom or dad might get sick and die, and you wouldn't be there. You'd miss the funeral. And notice how recruit number two uses the word first. You see that? First. That is a big word. It's like he's saying to Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, burying my father is my first obligation. Following you is going to have to come second. Well, here's what recruit number two doesn't realize. If, if one thing comes before following Jesus, so will a hundred other things. Isn't that right? If one thing comes before following Jesus, pretty soon there'll be a hundred more. And that's what Jesus says in verse 60. Uh, he says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think, Coo, what a strange thing for Jesus to say. Let the dead bury their own dead? I mean, is Jesus exaggerating to make a point? Maybe. Or maybe he's saying, let the spiritually dead, the people who aren't awakened yet to the kingdom of God, let, let them take care of the funeral arrangements. 
You, you, have to, you have to be out there recruiting people to my kingdom. And just so you know, Jesus is not against caring for your parents. I mean, a few chapters later, uh, he, Jesus calls out the Pharisees uh, because they were using a, a loophole in the law so that they wouldn't have to care for their aging parents. And Jesus scolds them. He says, it's like you've thrown away one of the big commandments, honor your father and mother. Jesus does want us to care for our parents, but being on his team has to come first. And then in verse 61, we, we find recruit number three. Uh, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. There's that word again, first. Actually, two words, but first. That's the question. Who's on first? You know, I find there's nothing unreasonable about wanting to say goodbye to your family. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah uh, gave his protege, Elisha, uh, permission to go back and have a big farewell feast with his family before following him. But now, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There's no time for a farewell feast. You know, the clock is ticking. The hour is coming. There can be no delay. So Jesus replied to recruit number three. There it is. No one who puts a hand to the plow. Can you see him there? Somebody with their hand on the plow. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're, not, you're, not, you're no use to me <laughs> if you keep looking back. Now, I have never uh, plowed with a pair of oxen or horses or anything like that. But I have pulled a three-bottom plow while behind me while driving a tractor. And, and I can tell you that if you keep looking back while you're plowing, you're going to be zigzagging all over that field. If you want to plow straight furrows, you have to keep your focus forward. And again, for all three recruits, we don't know what happened, do we? I mean, the cut of the ultimatum was laid down in front of them, but we don't know. Did they, did they give it all up and go follow Jesus? We don't know. Now, if you're a fan of Jesus, I understand why, and I am all for you. Jesus is all about God's love and his mercy. He, Jesus brings comfort and hope. It's easy to be a fan of Jesus, isn't it? But he's also recruiting you to be, his, to be on his team. Because when you're a disciple, he has to come first. Following him has to be first. This, as I said earlier, this Saturday morning, I'm going to be uh, leading my faith walk class. And uh, it's all about, you know, following Jesus, being on his team. How do we, how do, we do that and try to live that together here at Faith Westwood? And, and people... One thing they want to know is, okay, if I'm going to be a partner here at this church, what do you expect of me? That's a, that's a, that's a fair question. It's a good question. So I talk about expectations. One is worship with us. Create room in your life so you're going to be here every Sunday possible. Okay? 
Because this is how we receive God's word and, and God's love for us, and we give that love back to him altogether. And then another thing is to get in a group. And I know you've got to create room in your life for this kind of thing. Get in a group where you can love each other and pray together and bring out the best in each other. And then also serve others. I hope everybody in this church feels like, okay, i gotta, I got I to gotta serve in some way. You know, we all do. Because we have to sacrifice our time and our energy uh, to bless others and to represent Jesus wherever we are. And then the last one is to give deeply out of deep gratitude. Give deeply out of deep gratitude. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of the message here today. Uh, people on Jesus' team do that. They give deeply out of deep gratitude. Now, fans don't mind making a donation. Uh, you know, if they're getting something good out of it, hey, I don't mind, I don't mind you know, adding a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like supporting public television, you know? I got an email the other day uh, saying, you know, last year you gave a $5 donation to Wikipedia. Would you like to do that again? I mean, that kind of thing. But when Jesus recruits you, when you get on the team, it's not about just making a contribution. It's about giving deeply out of deep gratitude for all that he's done for you. For all the things that he does and continues to do that we know we could never repay. When you're on G Jesus' team, you know that deep down he has saved you, he has forgiven you, he has given purpose to your life, and he's going to be with you every day. That's why... We have so much gratitude. Now, I don't want anybody in this church to give out of pressure. If you're feeling pressure, just, you know, turn it off. Don't give if, that, if that's what you're feeling. I don't want anybody to give out of guilt or feeling obligated. If you're going to give, give out of love. Give out of gratitude. Give because, you know, you're just so glad to be on the team. Uh, earlier in Luke's gospel, it tells about a time when Jesus is a, a dinner guest at the home of one of his fans. And this guy also happens to be a Pharisee. Uh, and if you're not familiar with them, the Pharisees are a bunch of overachieving, self-righteous rule keepers. That kind of sums up who they are. Suddenly, someone enters the house uninvited. She's described uh, in Scripture as a woman who lived a sinful life. Apparently, she has already met Jesus, and she has found forgiveness, and knowing that she is washed clean in the sight of God, and she has found freedom to live a new life. And so she comes. She bursts into that house with a deep sense of gratitude, and she brings the most probably the most valuable thing she has, an alabaster jar full of perfume. And she pours some on Jesus' feet. And she is over, so overcome with, with emotion and, and how grateful she is, she begins to weep. And the tears fall on his feet, and so she dries them with her hair. And that's when Jesus announces to his overachieving, self-righteous, rule-keeping host, that her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, 
loves little. She gave so much because she had received so much. She was loved much and she gave much in return. You know, I think that she's like a lot of people here at this church who give deeply out of deep gratitude. You know, God loves us so much and Jesus has done so much for us. That's, that's why we just love to give. It is, is one of the great joys of our lives to give. We give freely, we give deeply, we give joyfully. And you know, one thing also about giving is that while it means saying yes to the Lord, it also means saying no to some other things, doesn't it? I mean, when, when Jesus is first, then your house can't be first, your parents can't be first, your kids can't be first. Because, like I said, if, if one thing comes before following Jesus, so will a hundred other things. And when you give, it's not just about giving. It it's also represents something you give up, doesn't it? Every time you give, you're giving something up. Every time you give, you're saying no to something else. I remember the oldest person I ever baptized. She was in her 80s. She, she had never been part of a church before, so this was all new to her. She loved it. She lived in a, reti- in a tiny little retirement uh, apartment, kind of the one that had been government built, I think, and, and she was barely making ends meet on her Social Security check. Her hobby was growing orchids that would be uh, in little pots all over her living room and kitchen. And out of her deep gratitude, out of what little she had, she gave to the church. Well, one day she asked me if I would be able to, to stop by for a visit. And so I did. I stopped by her place. It was a beautiful morning. So we sat out on the cement slab in front of her, of her apartment. Well, she had gotten a letter from me like a lot of you have gotten from me this, during this last week. And she said, Pastor, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to give any more than I'm giving now. And she was kind of really concerned about that. She said that the only luxury she allowed herself was the daily newspaper, which at that time was probably only a couple bucks a week. And uh, she said, if I give more than a... I'll have to give up my newspaper. And she wanted to know, basically, if that's what she should do. And, of course, you know, I can't, I can't tell a person what to do. But I did tell her that she was one of the biggest givers in our church. And I, I, can, tell, I can still picture the look on that little lady's face when I told her that. She, you know, and, and uh, she said, that can't be. And I said, it's true. You are one of the biggest givers in our church in terms of sacrifice. Others may give more in terms of dollars, but none of them give down to the level of their last $2 a week of discretionary spending. People on Jesus' team give deeply out of deep gratitude. I remember a conversation with a young couple. They were, they were, they were conflicted between them about their, their giving, and they wanted me to settle it. 
And uh, she said, she said, I thought, I thought giving, you're supposed to give joyfully. And she said she would give a lot more joyfully if they gave less. <laughs> and, and he said, well, I was taught that you're supposed to give till it hurts and that giving means sacrifice. He wanted to give more. Well, again, I didn't tell him what to do. But I did say, wonderful, you're both right. Following Jesus means giving sacrificially and joyfully. People on Jesus' team give deeply out of deep gratitude. Giving is indispensable to your spiritual well-being. Did you know that? Giving is indispensable to your spiritual well-being. If you, can't if you can't let go of your money, then your money's not going to let go of you. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, for a lot of us, um, giving deeply means honoring the Bible's standard of a tithe or 10%. And for some, it's a goal that they're working towards, and others, it's something they've even moved beyond. I've talked to people here who now are finding great delight in moving toward two tithes, not because they have to, not because anybody told them to. They just feel like God's saying, yeah, go for it. So this week, I am asking you to consider why you give. Why do you give? Because you can't really answer the question of what or how much until you, until you figure out why. And, of course, next Sunday, as the letter said, um, at the end of the service, we'll have the opportunity to bring up our cards in the envelopes and, and lay them here before uh, uh, in the front of the church. And it's going to be a great day, and it always is. And... Uh, and I, but I want to say before we go is that if you consider yourself a fan of Jesus, that's a good thing. It's great to be a fan of Jesus. But he is also recruiting you to be on his team. He's recruiting you to be on his team. He is ready to forgive your sins and to set you free from all the things that hold you back. He wants to restore you to be the person that you were meant to be. He promises to stay with you every day of your life and to promise you a home with him forever. Jesus wants you on his team. He's recruiting you. He thinks you're worth it. He thinks you have a lot to offer. And like the three recruits that he met on the way to Jerusalem, the final choice is yours. What will you leave behind to follow him? What will you leave behind to follow him? Let's pray. Well, Lord God, what a, what a great thing that... Uh, You've called us to be on the team, the, the kingdom team, the team of disciples that uh, are 
you are using to be the light of the world to reflect your light and glory. And so, Lord, we, we thank you so much. We didn't maybe think that we were good enough to be on your team, but you said, you know, you use us all. Um, even we, when we think we're the worst of sinners, you use us as an example of how great your grace is. <laughs> and so, Lord... Um, since you've been recruiting us so much, we just want to say how honored we are by that and how much we need you. You know, we, we've been maybe a fan for a long time, but now we're ready for the next step. We want to be on your team. We want to let go of kind of just doing life our own way and doing our own thing and thinking, I can handle it, I can handle it. So, Jesus, we, we want you, we want to put you first. Our life is all yours now. We're going to do whatever you want us to do. Thank you for the great gifts you've given to us, the, the life, the freedom, the hope, the promises. We are all yours. In your name we pray, amen.